that's all right for you That's all right now mama Any way you do But that's all right winner of the Iris Prize. Congratulations. Wow, that's, that's quite overwhelming. <laughs> Head to our website, then click on Festival. This is where you'll find and watch all of this year's films. Hello, welcome to the Iris Podcast. This year, we're all about Best of British. Welcome to opening night of the 14th Iris Prize LGBT Plus Film Festival. For nearly two decades, Emmanuel Anyamosigwe's obsession with diversity has won the hearts and minds of filmmakers and audiences alike. His blueprint for how minorities should be represented has stood the test of time, long before the penny dropped for other institutions far and wide that diversity truly matters. This year, as Buff marks its 15th anniversary, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Never has diversity been more relevant than in 2020. And as long as the issue remains in the public eye, Emmanuel has ensured that for creatives everywhere, the British Urban Film Festival is a broad church that welcomes all creeds and all colors, comfortable in its own skin and bold in its approach to storytelling and showcasing film as seen through the social and cultural lens. 
From BFM to Buckingham Palace, it's been quite a journey for the man who literally bet the house on making Buck the success that it is today. Emmanuel and joining me for this filmmaker Zoom session I have Sophia Banks from the film Unregistered, I have Cos Greenup from the film Sweet Streets, I have Aletha Shepard who has two films Transference and What You Will and I have Ashonda Norris who made Mino or Mino how, how do you pronounce it? Mino Mino, a diasporic myth Hello one and all, welcome to this Zoom session Well, where do we start with you lot because as you as you know, with the festival, we have a very eclectic selection of films. And obviously I've seen all of your films at least three times. And on each occasion, I have a, bun a bowl of granola with me. I don't know whether you've come across the granola test. What's the granola test? The granola test, cause uh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, so <laughs> what happened is, let's say I pick a Shunders film and I have a bowl of granola and I sit down to watch the film. So after about 10 or 20 seconds, if I still not touch that bowl of granola or had a spoonful and I'm still watching the film, then it passes and it gets into the festival. I get it. It's so unscientific and simple as that. Nice. <laughs> but here's the, double, here's the double payoff. When I get to the end of the film, I could then get to eat the whole of granola uninterrupted. <laughs> just off the back of enjoying the experience of the film Brilliant. so you can imagine how much granola I've had in terms of those that didn't get into the festival <laughs> and when I tell you we've got 86 films showing at this year's festival incredible you can see the figure that I'm in I'm, I'm doing reasonably well I've kind of burnt it off and spent a lot of energy expunged into this festival and prepping everything but just to let you guys know, you're in rarefied air here. You, you've all passed the granola test with flying colours. It's going straight on my LinkedIn. There I've you passed go. the granola test. There you go. There you go. I think ne ne for next year, we might start doing granola awards. So for every <laughs> to the we'll give them like a silver or a glass granola bowl. There's definitely That's a sponsorship deal that you could have there, I'm sure. You're not the only yeah. one that said that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, Let's talk a little bit more about each of your films and obviously in terms of why 
the festival kind of fell in love with them from the very beginning. Um, let's start with Aletha, because not only did one of your films get in, two of your films, got in, <laughs> which is very rare to get two into the festival, especially a festival like Bath. Um, talk to me first about working with Will Johnson. Ah, so I've known Will for years, actually. We went to identity together, like, oh, seven, eight years ago. And uh, we were both, like, starting acting then. And I guess um, I've been friends with him and his career's kind of skyrocketed with Outlander and all these shows that he's doing. And he was, you know, recently in the theatres before it closed down. Um, and I just remember him being really wholesome and I just wanted him to be a part of my project. So I asked him, would you come in and play my dad? <laughs> um, and he agreed. So yeah, no, I loved working with Will. He's amazing. It shows up on time, knows everything. He's an absolute pro. So he was lovely to work with. And what have you learned working with someone like Will? He's been in the game for 30 plus years now. Um, he always has sound advice, which is like, never give up, always keep pushing. Um, he's he's just really knowledgeable and has worked with so many people, always professional. Uh, so I guess I learned to just keep keep going. With From him, I learned to just keep going, keep fighting the good fight. <laughs> and with what you will, um, an even shorter film than Transfer. Yeah. yeah. I Talk know. To you about why so short? Was that a deliberate? Um, so it was. I wanted, um, I had just moved back from California and I wanted to make a short film. I had written that ages ago, but I wanted to be able to shoot it in one day. So I knew it had to be under four pages, but it had to tell a lot in a short amount of time. And What You Will was actually based off a personal experience. And I had written it while I was in LA. So the script was very different. I came back to London, rewrote it and just shortened it, cut out all the crap. It's funny when you take a script and just slim it down, how you just get the meat of the story. So, so that's what happened. And it's a bit fast. Um, it's quite fast paced compared to the original script. Um, and then we got Jacob Scipio on it as well, which was amazing, uh, before he did um, Bad Boys too. So without giving away the plot too much in what you will, tell us about the experience you had in LA so that Sophia can corroborate potentially <laughs> what you experienced out there. Um, do you know what? I kind of fell into doing movies because I auditioned for a, a film um, with James Franco. He he was directing then when I first moved over. And he was the one to say to me, Alif, you can't just be an actor. You just can't. You, these days, you've got to have other skills. He literally just said, get your film family together and just start shooting, writing. I had no idea what I was doing. Luckily, the film that I auditioned for him uh, that I got the part for, the director from that came on and did my short film. Um, and she worked with me. And that was my first experience ever um, producing anything um, kind of, it was my original script and she kind of taught me how to formulate a script properly. So I learned from the ground up um, and I just got the bug. 
uh, I really got the bug. And in LA, like everyone has a camera. Everyone's like wanting to jump on everyone's projects. And there's such a great community and a sense of just keep going in LA that you just get addicted. And I did, and you just learn on as you go. I literally was just getting things done, begging, borrowing, did not steal anything, but like, you know, asked for favors left, right and center. Uh, just to get my movies made and I think by the time I left LA I'd done within two years I think I'd done like seven short films or something it was insane I was literally stopping one and then going on to another because what tends to happen is people find out you're doing one and then they're like oh I've got a short script then you read it and if you like it or you know there's a big sense of collaboration there um, and a big film community. So you're able to like get involved with other people's uh, things and, and try other roles. I, I was a sound person at one stage and I never trained that, but I learned on the job. Um, and, and that, you know, I'm forever grateful for LA for giving me that get up and go kind of attitude with film. Sophia, yeah. I'm sure you shared those sentiments of relief as... Yeah, no, definitely. I um, have shot a lot in LA and... Um, you know, as, as, as tainted as it can be on some sides, it's so great to, to be part of a community that's so interesting. I always joke, cause I'm in Australia right now um, for a project that everyone here in Australia always talks about the weather, but I'm in LA. They always talk about what movie did what at the box office last weekend, you know? Um, and, you know, I've also got to shoot a bunch of different projects and commercials and that sort of stuff. And you're right, there's absolutely you can always find a sound person. You can always find someone who's happy. Um, uh, I shot, I'm registered there. I shot a short, I just finished before COVID proxy there and people are just willing to jump on board and it's a creative hub. So, um, which I think is really important as artists to be around other artists and people. Um, also that American, like you can do anything, let's go. is <laughs> sort of part of the culture there. And I think that's a great side to the US is you know, you got a dream, you can dream it and um, and being a part of that. Ashonda, do you share the same experience? Um, in regards to just um, collaboration and working? Yeah, I mean, I started out, um, like, so I started out as a writer. Um, I was on the East Coast and I've always been writing my whole life. Um, and I came to LA focused on writing. And so filmmaking was kind of a suppressed dream. It's almost like, I didn't think it was like possible at all. And so I, I had written this script and I was in this writer's group and um, one of the girls in the writer's group, she was like, you should shoot this. And I had no idea how to direct at all. I was like, what do you mean? She was like, you wrote it, so you should just direct it. And that's how I got into directing and I fell in love with it. I mean, I, I like being in control of my words. Um, so a big thing in LA, well, just in filmmaking in general, um, if you're a screenwriter, you know, you have your script, you sell it, and then there's a director that comes on and directs it sometimes. And so I didn't like, I didn't want that process to happen. I'm too precious about my words. Um, and so I enjoyed being able to direct my stuff. Um, so everything I've written, I've actually directed. Um, and so I'm kind of like a writer director and then produce, produce about proxy if necessary, you know? So that's how I got into filmmaking is just absolute, just doing it. And someone's just believing in me um, and saying that I can do it. And, and that's how I got started. Um, which was 
really funny because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and I look back on my old stuff and I'm like, oh, okay, I've grown as a filmmaker because sometimes you just don't realize that you're growing until you look at some of your old work or you look at some of your old scripts and you're like, oh, okay, I am getting better. So it just feels really good to see the evolution of my work and how my voice is getting more stronger with each film that I make. Cause you're a writer and director as well. Would you rather be a writer or director, both? Or do you kind of share what everyone else is saying about kind of no. the multi-disciplines? Yeah, I mean, I kind of totally agree in that I, I was a writer through uh, by proxy and that I wanted to tell my stories, but I didn't trust anyone else to, to kind of tell them. I think, I think if you're a born storyteller, you're a born storyteller, whether you're a painter, an artist, a novelist, you want to get your story out there. And for me, the way to tell my stories was through the visual medium of film. So I, I actually wasn't a great writer, to be honest. I, I knew I had the ideas in my head, but I, I really struggled to get them down. Um, so the only way that I could go out there is, is, you know, go make these short films to kind of get my vision across. But yeah, 100%, I... Uh, I was, I became a, a director and a writer, I guess, through these stories because I'm absolutely awful at painting and I don't have the attention span to, to write a novel at all. Um, so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll start with making movies because that's the only way that I can get these ideas out of my head. And I guess, you know, for me, the buzz of actually being on a set and suddenly looking at all your cast and your crew and you're there and you're like, oh my goodness, like, everybody is here because of things in my head like that is the greatest buzz on the planet all of a sudden mm. these people are here and they're inspired by a story that you want to tell uh, for me that kind of is what drew me to to want to be a storyteller is is seeing these people get as passionate and as excited as i am about the stories that i want to tell and uh, and it kind of fed from there really doing you know whether it was doing shorts at, at film school and then going off to do you know, various other things, you know, I, I was a documentary filmmaker, I did music videos, and those things were great to kind of learn kind of the, the technical aspect of it. But, you, you know, if you've ever worked in music videos or documentary, you're very much given a brief and they're not your stories. So for me, it was about learning the craft before I wanted to tell my own stories. Um, so that was basically how I got into, into creating my own stories for sure. And as well as all of you being storytellers, would you say you are all control freaks as well? Yes, yes, I'm, yes. Uh, it's, it's very nice to be on. Is that another woman? Sorry, let me let me just. That is story. Is that a yes from everyone? Yes, you all control. Yes. Yeah, yes. sure. I, yeah, I have to learn to let go. Um, it takes me a long time to edit just because I'm just trying to control all the footage. Um, so it's a process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That so, so how hard do you find it to kind of trust people who are experts in their field or perhaps have a fresh pair of eyes in terms of what kind of angle you're trying to put out there. Because obviously in each of your films, which are showing at the festival, um, you guys have got quite a vision, which has been put on screen and people have got a certain amount of time to take in what they're hearing and seeing. And Ashanti, if I can start with you on this, because Mino is a completely diasporic world, but the story is, fascinating in, in many aspects. T talk to me about how the idea first kind of entered that head of yours. Um, so I was um, working full time. Um, I don't work in the industry. So I was kind of like really bummed out um, <clears throat> because I was in between films. And so part of my process is just reading a lot. I mean, I go to the internet and I go to books and I'm constantly just trying to find a story. And so I saw um, in my research that there's um, 
a process called parthenogenesis where women can self-conceive. And so I was like, oh, this is fascinating. And I kind of put it to the side. And then I was, you know, driving, trying to think of a story. And I was like, oh, I can just place this in uh, with Black women and I can just place it in, um, in some place on the continent. It, does, it doesn't even matter where. And that's kind of how the story kind of like evolved. Um, I was very serious about trying to have some kind of sci-fi going on. And I was also wanting to show that there's a way to kind of care for each other as, as women of the African diaspora. So I was very intent on writing the script while I was working full time. And because I was so determined to finish the script, um, I had someone read it and that's pretty much how it came about. Um, and I was pretty much in a place where I wasn't really motivated, but I went to a screening of one of my old films and it was like a great reception. And I ran into someone and I was like, oh yeah, I have this script and I have these ideas. And so just having someone to say, hey, you know, this is kind of important or just having the audience, you know, watch one of my old films, it kind of like got me back into um, building another film. And one of my goals for this, I have a, a goal for each of my films. So the goal for this film was just to write something outside of what I've never done before, which is sci-fi, because I love sci-fi. Um, and I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it and, and do it on a budget that's not like millions of dollars. Um, that was my challenge. And that's how I kind of like came with the images. And basically the people who trusted me were the people who worked with me before. Um, they saw the script and they were like, yeah, we should, we should shoot this. And my DP is like absolutely mad. Like he'll do anything. And so it was great to have someone who believed in the script. Um, so it was very organic and it took a long time to get to the place where it's a film, but it was like constantly believing that I could write it um, and that I could do it. And um, yeah, I was just very determined to show a world where black women were in charge um, and they were taking care of themselves because I don't see it a lot. I mean, there are so many hidden films I have to dig for films where black women are not a trope or a stereotype or um, just serving someone else. And that's where that came from. I was very determined to show that black women could take care of themselves on film because we see it, we know that happens in day-to-day -day life, but I wanted to show it on a film unapologetically and that's how that came about. Elisa, talk to me about transference because I remember when I first sat down to watch that film um, believe it or not, it took me back to my childhood, not my childhood personally in terms of my family, but growing up, um, I was watching Tales of the Unexpected um, as a very young child. Now, I don't know whether you recall Tales of the Unexpected, which was a very famous drama series which aired on ITV in the 80s. And basically you had Rodal, the Rodal, sitting on a chair like the one I'm sitting on now and there'd be a fireplace and he'd be telling like his play for today. And in all the years that Tales of the Unexpected ran, there was one story in particular, which bore so many similarities to transference in terms of the love that a husband and wife had for each other. And the wife was talking to the husband, but as you were watching it, you didn't see the husband at all because the husband was dead. I won't kind of give away the plot, but when I saw your <laughs> film, that's the first thing I thought of. I, I swear I've seen this story like. So when I when I when I kind of saw your film, I thought this is incredible for someone to have <laughs> vision thirty years on. I mean, talk to me how it it came to your kind of um, concept. Um, so 
the writer Liam Lacey he's actually from Australia um and he sent in uh, at the time I was just looking for new material and I had a bunch of writers send in stuff so I was just reading scripts and at that time my cousin had actually passed away we were pretty much nine months apart he was no much younger than me and when we were on uh, when we were on holiday he accidentally died and because I, I had gone through grief seeing a script done about grief just automatically connected to me um, and I think the second thing that really convinced me that I had to make it was, um, you know, the way the world is going and the way technology is moving forward. I just thought, wouldn't it be incredible if we could make, you know, people kind of live forever? What would that look like? And what would that be? And also, what would that grieving process do to the human being? Um, would there be one? And is it necessary for us to go through grief when someone passes away? Because we are ultimately, um, you know, I feel like when I made the film, it was my healing for what I had gone through with my cousin. So filming it, directing it and acting in it, <laughs> it was the talk, like I'd never produced, directed and acted in anything before. And it was, such a big ordeal for me I had a great strong team um but it was a lot for me to take on and I think I took on all those roles predominantly because I felt like this film was my healing process and through doing that film I have learned so much not only about more about filmmaking but um just about human humanity in general so that that story really connected to me and I felt like I had to tell it Sophia, break down unregistered because there's so many layers with your film. Um, well, I am also a huge sci-fi fan, so I really wanted to make something in that world. Um, I'd seen District 9, like the short, and it really sort of inspired me and inspired me because I always knew I wanted to make big films, but I didn't really know how to get there. So it sort of inspired me that people could do that. I also, growing up in Australia, filmmaking was something that was also kind of suppressed for me too, that just, I didn't know any filmmakers that weren't, you know, even though there are Australian actors, there weren't really many Australian directors and there weren't sort of that sort of opportunity. So I, I left Australia to come to LA. And it just, for me, um, it was inspired again. Um, I'm also like love coming up with ideas, but then collaborating with writers, but it was inspired sort of by a couple of things. Um, I had a grandmother who went through the Holocaust and sort of what had happened in, it always, you know, and I don't know if any of you have ever been to a concentration camp, like one of those sites and stuff, but I mean, the fact that you had people kind of gassing children and babies, it, 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 I never understood how Germany sort of got there. And I was very fascinated by that five year period before and the fact that people didn't see it coming. You know what I mean? There was racism against um, all, all, you know, racism. There was prejudice against disabled people. There was all sorts of things, but how they really got people on board. So I um, also with technology sort of observing what was happening in America and then um, looking at one child policy and how that affected second children and then um, a little bit of Anne Frank, you know? So that was sort of what inspired it. And then I really wanted to see a grounded love story set 
in a, in a sci-fi world, because I sometimes feel like when we go to sci-fi worlds that you don't see sort of like grounded. And so um, for many of you who see Unregistered, the kind of opening was inspired by Terrence Malick, you know what I mean? And, and then I sort of wanted to go into a Blade Runner type world, but just really see people connect um, in this world. Um, I, I remember going to the Anne Frank Museum in the Netherlands with my wife, and yeah. I'll never forget the experience just coming away from that place in terms of knowing the story of Anne Frank or what she went through in the relationship with her father. I mean, that's the closest that I personally have kind of experienced that whole, what it would have been like to live in, in that era. And that, that, that's really the closest for me, but obviously hearing it from you and the personal connection that you have. Um, yeah. I guess in many ways with, with what Aletha was saying, kind of made it easier for you when it came to making the film. Um, sorry, what made it easier for me? Um, the relationship you had with, um, with your grandmother. Yeah, um, I think it just felt important. Honestly, for many of you see it, I feel like after COVID, but I, I personally, I love, I'm a big fan of 1984, George Orwell. I'm a fan of, I feel a responsibility sometimes to tell stories because I feel like had we not had Animal Farm, in 1984, we may have headed in a different place. So this is pre-COVID because it's, um, but I felt uh, I felt a connection to tell that story. And I, and obviously, you know, we all want to say things, but I think it's really important also to be grounded to character. So um, it just really, I don't know, it just felt like something I, I had to tell. And one of the things, if anyone's read and Frank, that I loved was that she would still, she was still so positive. And I, I think in, and she um, would talk about a boy that she liked and all that sort of stuff. So I wanted to show, because I think that we do see, you know, younger children, teens and, and things in these, sometimes in these terrible situations still find humanity and, and forget about that. And they still, you know, have this childhood and I think that's really important to see too. Now if you've not already kind of twigged um, obviously all of the main characters in each of your films are female and obviously they're going through a particular journey because I know with Sweet Street um, obviously the main character in that film uh, went through a particular journey was it based on a true story or was it kind of an, an original idea and if so how did you create so much depth in your lead character? So basically the way that I kind of discovered this, the story was uh, obviously I've, I've made a lot of kind of psychological horrors and thrillers, uh, feature films in the past. And I kind of wanted to step away from those. I kind of felt that I'd, I'd done that and I was kind of, I wanted to move on to be, um, you know, certainly do something more, more whether it's social realism or not, I hate the word kitchen sink, but a, a, a northern gritty drama was something that I want to do. I'm a, I'm a Leeds lad, I'm from Yorkshire, and I've never shot a movie in my home city. And I was really, really interested in, in doing that. Now, although my last three features have all been, um, yeah, like psychological thrillers, all the, all the characters in them have had real issues, um, whether it's post-abortion syndrome, or you know, it's loss, guilt, or grief. You know, for me as a filmmaker, I love I love primal things. Whether it's fear, you know, these emotions that every single human being can relate to. 
and I was looking, I, I came back from, from shooting my last movie and I wanted to, like I said, I wanted to step away from that and, and shoot something in Leeds, but I wanted something unique to Leeds. I mean, you know, you see a million films in London, Manchester, Liverpool, you know, Leeds is other than, you know, the Yorkshire Dales, which obviously, you know, the Bronte sisters have, have shot, you know, Pride and Prejudice and all, all those kind of things. We've not really seen much in, in the city centre of Leeds. So as I was researching, you know, trying to find things that I could tell stories about, I, I discovered that Leeds is actually the only place in the UK that has a, an actual le legal red light district. And first of all, I was shocked that this was on my doorstep and had no idea that it existed. Um, secondly, I thought we're in 2020, well, 2019 at the time, and you know, prostitution is, is legal in the UK. I was like, this is craziness. So actually I wanted to go down to Sweet Street because uh, you know, the irony is that the actual street is called Sweet Street by the council. Um, so I kind of did a lot of research. I went down to the street and interviewed a lot of the, the working girls there. And for me, what, what was the most shocking is that, you know, the council and the government had set up Sweet Street to make it a safer place for, for the women to work. Um, actually saying that it has backfired and since it was opened in 2014, you know, there's been several murders, pimps have taken over, there's, you know, far more attacks on these women. Um, but not only that, is after meeting the girls and speaking to the girls, I realized that, you know, literally 90% of the girls that we spoke to, and there is statistics with a local charity that we're working with, is that they're, most of the women there are there because they have substance abuse, whether it's crack, cocaine, heroin, you know, alcohol abuse. Um, and I found it crazy that these women, you know, were being kind of swept under the carpet. The council would rather make it legal for them to sell their bodies than it is to actually help them with their substance abuse. And, and one of the girls that we met, you know, she had a nail salon, um, uh, hair, hairdressers, and she had a, a full business back in 2010, I think it was. And she had a, an abusive boyfriend who got her addicted to crack. And subsequently she lost her business. She lost everything. The boyfriend left her. And the only way to kind of pay for her crack addiction was to, to work the street. And what frustrated me is that, you know, the women that we spoke to didn't want to be there. You know, it wasn't like, you know, these girls in Dubai are places who are making 20,000 pounds a night. You know, these girls are literally doing it for their, you know, to pay for their addiction. So we spoke to people in the council and said, well, hold on, this seems very antiquated. You're kind of shuffling them under the carpet. You're not helping them with their addiction problems. You know, they don't want to be here. Making, making this place legal for them is almost just like putting salt in the wound. You know, you're not helping them with their, their real issues. So for me, I, I wanted to tell a story basically to bring awareness to to this place called Sweet Street about, you know, the legal prostitution going on in, you know, in the UK, in, in my home city. Uh, but secondly, you know, these girls, you know, I, I you see a lot of northern gritty dramas like I, Daniel Blake, you know, Fishtail, you know, we are very heavily influenced by Andrew Arnold, Lynn Ramsey, you know, a lot of their earlier films, Fish Tank is, you know, probably my favorite film of all time. So actually looking at all these things and putting them together, I wanted to construct a real life version of this street. So we actually got permission to shoot on the actual streets with the real women there. Um, and, and have these actors around them. But at the same time, I didn't want it to be all kind of doom and gloom for these women, you know, because, you know, there is hope there. You know, these women have got aspirations and dreams and they, you know, they don't want to be there. So I'd actually written a feature length script around one of the women that we'd met. Um, and then I took it to my, my investors and said, look, it's very, very different to, to what I've usually done. Um, but I'd love to give it a go. And they actually just went, no chance. Like, you're not doing a gritty Northern drama. We want you to do, you know, the things that sell. We want you to do horror movies. You know, we know we're going to make money from them. Um, and also because the film that I wanted to do visually was so different to anything that I'd done before, 
they just couldn't get it in their heads. Or they did, but I think personally, they didn't think I was a good enough filmmaker to pull this kind of movie off. So I went away and I managed to raise the money and said, look, let me just shoot a proof of concept for you. So the street street that we have is literally a day in the life of our lead protagonist in the feature script. Um, and I wanted, you know, they when they said, let's, let's make like a short, uh, a proof of concept, I said, well, actually, I want to do a full story about this girl. You know, I want to see that hope and that that light relief, but also I want you to see, you know, that what she actually has to go through and, and you know, bring up the, the substance abuse, the crack abuse and, you know, the abuse that she gets from from these men as well. So it, it very much came from several angles and, you know, the film that we're actually seeing has come from several different places. Um, but for me as a filmmaker, this film kind of has taken me on a totally different journey in terms of where I want to go in my career as a filmmaker. You know, actually doing these these social impact dramas. You know, I've I've absolutely loved doing it, and I think because you are doing it. I mean, our lead character isn't really based on one of the girls; it's based on many of their stories. But for me, because there is that truth in there, you know, the integrity that you have to and must keep because these girls are real. You know, has has been a really really great thing as a filmmaker because it's the first time I've I've ever been able to do that where you know the story is so real and so you know so raw in a certain way. You know, there's a lots of scenes. Um, that my producer certainly was like, there's no way we can shoot this. Like, you know, the audience is just not going to buy it. And it's like, yeah, but this is the real life. This is what these girls are doing, you know, 365 days a week. Um, so that was kind of where where the kind of idea and, you know, the basis of the, the story came from. Great, great. Um, and you, now that you've all made these films and you've all gone on these uh, personal journeys, um, would you rather kind of stay in your comfort zone or now that you've kind of tested yourself, you feel like you want to move on and challenge yourself to make even more dynamic stories or kind of where does your kind of, where does it all lie in your head in terms of the direction of your careers? Where do you want to go with your storytelling? I, I, I think, I think as a storyteller, you always have to push the boundaries and, and always go out of your comfort zone. As soon as you feel comfortable, doing something on set, you're, you're telling the wrong story. And it's taken me quite a long time to realize that as a filmmaker, you know, um, you know, I've, I've done stories in the past where I have felt comfortable about them, but as soon as you, you know, open that door to something that you're uncomfortable with, or you're doing something that is totally out of your comfort zone, that's where you find the most creativity. That's where, you know, the magic of a film happens, you know, things happen that you never would have expected to happen. You know, we shot this on, on 16 mil film. I hadn't used a film in my entire life. So just literally using a different format and a different medium for me is all of a sudden terrifying because you're getting these amazing performances from these actors and you, suddenly someone's going, okay, can we just check the gate? And you're like, what? What do you mean check the gate? And it's like, you're terrified because you think, what if we've not got that scene? Because there's a hair in the lens, you know? But these are things that you make you think, you know, our pre-production, I had more pre-production on the short film than I have on, on any of my feature films because of the fact that we're shooting film, because we have limited days, because we're shooting in North Yorkshire uh, in December, you know? So we had a whole scene where people are running on a beach and I had so many contingencies thinking, well, it's December in Yorkshire, it's obviously gonna be raining. You know, we can't have them, you know, running into the North Sea on, you know, December the 15th. So I think as long as you're pushing those boundaries as a filmmaker and you're stepping outside of your comfort zone, that's when the magic happens for me anyway. Ashanda? Yeah, I mean, I challenge myself with every film. I'm not comfortable with any of the subject matters of my film initially. I'm like, should I say this? Should I do this? Um, and because I'm so uncomfortable, I know that it's, it's probably like the best story to kind of tell. And yeah, actually my net, my feature films are probably gonna be shot on film. Like I know that people are like, ugh, digital is so much easier. But um, for me, because I love like 
cinema. And so that's one of my challenges. And then also just playing with genres and mixing genres is gonna be part of my um, next film. And then like some experimental stuff, like just, just forcing myself or, or challenging myself to look outside of the expectations of what cinema can be. Um, and so, because I've been watching a lot of, um, what's her name, um, you know, older films by um, certain filmmakers who are very experimental. I mean, they're doing anything and it's a great film. And so it makes me feel like anything's possible in film. And so I'm definitely gonna be challenging myself for um, my features when I get ready to make them. Elifa? Um, I'm gonna keep challenging. Yeah, I think um, obviously I my next project's a feature film and um, it's actually a horror, which <laughs> I never in the wildest, in my wildest dreams thought I would do, but it's based off a true story that happened to me years ago. Um, and I kind of feel like my best shorts come from my real life experiences. My best uh, like work comes from that. And um, horror, I would never sit down. I mean, I grew up in a very Christian household where we weren't even allowed to watch Harry Potter. So <laughs> for me, doing a horror film um, and researching demons and different kinds of demons. And I mean, I've watched back to back horror films and I've actually grown to love them. And in a weird way, um, I, it's kind of made me grow as a person because now something that I feared personally, I no longer fear. I had a fear of watching horror films. And now because I'm making one, it forced me to sit down and face my biggest fear. And now I can watch them any time of day or night and I'm fine. Um, however, it has made me also a stronger Christian as well. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I'm constantly challenging myself. Um, we did a short a couple of weeks ago uh, during quarantine um, on film. I, I have a director that I worked with and she wanted to shoot on film and, you know, just experiencing producing something on film again is like you said, uh, is just a whole different ballpark because you can't do playback. You know, you just got to hope and pray everything came together. So I'm always constantly uh, growing and learning. And I don't think as filmmakers that we ever kind of get into our comfort zone. It gets boring otherwise. Sophia? Yeah, I feel like, you know, because every project is different, there's always learning you know and it's always challenging um i'm about to go shoot i'm actually in australia prepping my first feature so um and it, it has actually it's a thriller but it has a lot of action in it so um but um which i'm really excited about and i've done some action but it'll be much more of a challenge and i you know sort of i've sort of set a challenge i guess one of the things i like to set for myself is taking genres that I feel like people will say, you know, okay, this is this certain type of movie. It's an action thriller, so it can't have, or it's not gonna have grounded characters like a Sundance film, you know what I mean? Like there's different um, types of things. And I love to try and challenge myself to, to bring, no, this can connect with people like an indie film and have that, but also, fit all the genres. So I guess that's my my new challenge. And I think that's something I love to do is sort of 
challenge what people think about the genre and and bring more connected characters into that um, area. But for sure, I'm like, okay, shooting during COVID, you know, we have less days because of already um, the challenges with that and quarantine and all sorts of things. So, um, but I feel like, you know, I feel like it's in our nature as filmmakers to, I mean, I feel like filmmaking itself is challenging, you know what I mean? And it's always, I always say to people, you know, directing, I feel like you're wearing so much of that, the hat. So I'm sure all of us instinctively want to push and challenge boundaries. Um, you talked about COVID, Sophia, and I wanted to ask all of you about, obviously, kind of the times that we're in right now, whereby in a normal situation at the film festival, you would all be sitting alongside me on a panel and we'd be facing the audience, talking about our films and we'd be asking the audience what they think. But we've got none of that this year. Um, instead, <laughs> we've got all you guys on a Zoom. Um, and I guess that networking essence is not there with us, um, at least uh, in the short time, but obviously in 2021, we all hope that we get to experience each other's company at a film festival, but that notwithstanding, uh, how have you guys embraced this kind of new post-COVID era? And do you think the kind of online environment that we've all now entered, whether it's a film festival and as a filmmaker, whether that has ultimately more benefits than it has negatives? Aletha? Um, I definitely feel like um, there's been more benefits to this. Number one, I've had more time to develop you know really sit down and booth myself and, and make sure I'm loving what I'm doing and that all the projects are kind of pushing forward um I think COVID's given us time to like slow down I was like doing meetings then you come back read a script and it you know going into London coming back and it just it you know the day-to-day -day is wearing you know it is wearing and sometimes projects do uh, suffer if, if you don't you know push the world away and I guess this situation made us all kind of push the world away but still remain connected um, I'm in the women in film and tv group and like every couple of weeks we'll have a zoom and it's a bunch of women filmmakers who um, kind of just get together and catch up and exchange contacts and we're emailing each other talking about things that we constantly have in development and I don't think you know if if COVID didn't happen, not all of us would have been able to make those kind of meetings in London to network and meet other women filmmakers. That wouldn't have happened, but because it's all digital now, we can all sit in our living room and, and, and communicate and, and talk about things that we love. Um, I mean, you miss connection, but I think, it, I mean, for me and my business, I think it's done the world of good for us um, kind of moving forward. Sophia? Um, I, I see both. I think I've had both. I agree because like, especially in the beginning, um, cause in the States we were sort of in lockdown since March. Um, I was able, cause I also shoot commercials. So I was able to take the time, um, and work exactly work on projects and the same in LA, like, you know, if you're driving to a meeting, it's like an hour and a half every way. So not do that sort of stuff. And I was able to get this feature and my next feature lined up, which is great. What I will say is though, then getting to, I was supposed to start shooting the feature um, 
in October and because of, uh, I guess no one was really insuring projects for, like no one really knew like, how do we insure a project for COVID? What happens if it gets shut down and the protocols in, in Australia um, and then getting people in in quarantine and that got moved and now I'm prepping, but be shooting January, February. So, so for me, making my first feature for the second half of the year, it definitely, I would have already been done and input and, and editing. So it definitely added delays, which is fine because then I have more time prepping. So the production um, part, um, I feel like, and I've had a few friends, they're shooting in, I know Canada, I don't, I don't know about the UK, but I know a couple of movies going in Canada now and Australia, they're going, but it definitely slowed down the production part of films for a minute, you know. Shonda? Um, so I'm actually really glad that this happened. I, I mean, I'm a super indie filmmaker. I mean, I, I spend my money, I save money, I, you know, ask people to help, but I'm super indie. And so I was doing a lot on my own. I mean, I was, you know, setting up all of the press and then going to film festivals and then working. So it was a lot for me. And I was like, I don't know how much longer this is going to be healthy for me. So um, in a weird way, um, COVID just forced everybody to kind of just like relax. Um, and so that's what I've been doing. I've been resting a lot. And in that resting, my stories are coming to me and I'm doing a lot of research um, for my feature, um, actually like two features. So that's another thing is like, I can hold two features in my brain or in a TV series without trying to worry about trying to shoot. I mean, I just felt like it was just this constant grind um, and everyone was just like scattered and keep trying to shoot and just trying to do these things and no one was resting. Um, and so for me, I just felt like it was like a breath of fresh air to kind of just sit back and think about what I wanna make um, and think about what I wanna do um, and I'm not shooting. Um, that's I, I have too much anxiety around um, all that stuff. And so, and I, I know how I like to shoot. Um, it's very personable. It's very, um, I take my time and things like that. So I'm not forcing myself to shoot in the midst of everything that's happening. Um, and I, also, I just don't have to. I mean, my money is not tied up in, in making films. And I think for me, that's like a blessing. So I can kind of like make money other, other ways and then take my time um, to get to my next film, which I've actually really appreciated. Um, and so for me, I just feel like it's a, it's a great time to kind of reflect. I mean, what do people want out of a film career, right? Um, what's your, your passion? What are you serious about? Um, like, what are your goals? Um, what, how are you lining up? What are you doing? So for me, it's just a very personal thing to like make films. And so, because I know I'm putting something out that somebody wants to see. Um, so I have a, a, for lack of a better word, I think it's just like a, knowing what I want and knowing how I want this image to be um, and taking the time to kind of absorb more images. Um, it's been a great time to kind of watch a whole bunch of films without trying to worry about trying to get a script done. Um, so I've been enjoying watching everybody's films that I've missed. I've been enjoying watching Criterion Channel where I find all these weird films that are like really awesome. Um, so it's just like really teaching me um, about what film can do. Um, and I, I've been appreciating that, what I can absorb from this time without trying to rush and um, shoot something. Cos, what, what's COVID been like for you? 
Um, well, I think, again, like everyone, it's, it's been a mixture of both. You know, obviously, Sophia was saying, you know, productions have been halted or, or moved back, um, which, yeah, exactly the same case for me. You know, I was, uh, again, yeah, I was supposed to be out in, in Los Angeles having meetings and, and meeting investors out there. Um, so the guys that invested in, in Sweet Street, they're, they're based out in Los Angeles. So we were going to go and show them the movie and, you know, screen it to them and have, uh, have a meeting with them about the feature film. Um, and I think the one thing that, that Zoom calls miss is kind of your interaction in the room. I, I always much prefer having meetings face to face and, you know, like film festivals, you know, I think, I think it's amazing that we are in an industry that can adapt so we can have online things. You know, I think in that sense, we are very, very lucky that we're, we're able to do that. But at the same time, you know, nothing beats, you know, meeting people face to face and discussing films over some drinks, sitting down and watching, you know, your film on the big screen. You know, that, that for me is why I make films. You know, I want people, as many people as possible to see them. Um, and I think festivals have that, you know, that special moment where you're with like-minded individuals who, who can all talk about film together. Um, and I know from some of the festivals that we've been at, you know, sadly, a lot of the people when they have Zoom calls, you know, people either don't turn up or they don't show or, you know, they're distracted by something else in the room. It's very difficult to get one on one attention with people. Um, so that that is a frustration. But at the same time, like Ashunda said, what I did like is is suddenly the freedom to kind of reflect on my career and take a kind of breather and go, OK, well, this is where I'm at at the moment. And I've you know, it's almost like a blessing in disguise where we're given this time. We're not forced to quickly get a deadline done or meet people or go and network you know we we can take a step back and go okay well this is where I am now this is what I want to do and also you know again you know those ideas do come when you suddenly take a step back you're given the the freedom to watch other films and the time not to not to worry about constantly going around and meeting people or going to networking events or film festivals or you know desperate to, to get your funding in so you can go and shoot that film it's it's been nice to take that step back so I think I think like I said you know film is is one of those industries where we are able to take a step back luckily we are in a medium where people watch films on you know whether it's a phone whether it's a cinema whether it's a laptop you know we're in that medium where people can do that um so I think we've been very lucky in that sense and I think because the film community is such that everyone does huddle together in times of need you know especially in the creative arts you know we care that the prince charles cinema is dying you know we want to help you know genesis and all these these local cinemas work of course so at the same time we do have that really great community spirit where people say look guys you know i mean literally in this year i've been sent more uh, whether it's greenlit or indiegogo or kickstart campaigns than i have for absolutely years because people have sat down and they've had the time to think about what it is they want to do and they're thinking okay what's what are people doing they're sat at home on their computers watching film now is my time to get my greenlit campaign out there or my indiegogo or kickstarter so so for me that's been great seeing so many people suddenly turn their their heads on whether you know so many people in in the industry have you know as i say adult jobs you know it's not in the creative uh, you know arts so it's given them you know if they've been furloughed all of a sudden you go great i'm getting paid to write now i can sit at home i'm getting paid you know my furlough pay because i can't go into work i can now write i can now tell that story that i always want to tell and i think especially with writers i mean with me personally you know writers are the best procrastinators on the planet we have such good excuses not to write you know when i sit down to write a screenplay i'm in the best shape of my life my house is the tidiest it's ever been because i want to do anything but write so now all these people who are using time as an excuse to not be able to write they've suddenly been given the freedom 
to, to tell their stories, which I think is fantastic, you know, and they're not, they're not doing it within the constraints of a nine to five job as well. So, you know, I think, I think it's, it's been a blessing in disguise, I think, for a lot of people at the same time, you know, I know friends who've lost funding um, because, you know, their, their investors, their businesses have gone under, so they no longer can invest. So I think like anything in, in the arts, you know, it, it is constantly changing. I think we have to adapt. Um, and I think actually online festivals are great, you know, rather than saying, sorry, guys, we can't show your, your film this year, or it's not happening. You know, we have ways creatively to be able to show films and, you know, have sessions like this where filmmakers can still chat, get to know each other and, and discuss, you know, why, why they want to make their stories, I think is, is great that we're, we're able to do that for sure. And obviously, we very much look forward to hosting all of your films on the Apple TV app, which is a first for a major UK film festival to be actually on Apple. It wasn't something that we were actually looking for, believe it or not. Obviously, like most industries, film festivals bore the brunt of not having cinemas to be able to showcase um, filmmakers' work. So everyone moved online and obviously Buff had to find somewhere online. So whilst obviously we were searching for a digital home, Apple found us. And because of what happened with George Floyd and obviously the prominence of Black Lives Matter, the work that Buff has been doing in diversity for the last 15 years and me personally in black film for over 20 years led to Apple deciding to put all their energies and resources into Buff finding a home on Apple. Um, audiences, not just in the UK, but internationally will be able to see the great work that the UK has on offer, and obviously international filmmakers like yourself, Ashanda. When you heard that your film was being selected for Buff, what was your initial reaction? And then when you heard it was going to be on Apple, what was your reaction after that? Very excited. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of bummed because I wanted to, I, I had planned my trip around coming to London and because I had been there before and I was like, I got to get back to like London. So I was super psyched that, um, you know, I was going to be in London and thinking, I was just like, I'm getting into this festival because I need to be in London for about two weeks. But then, you know, everything got shut down. And so it's it pretty exciting, um, you know, for it to be, have a, a further reach than it, it would be if we were just um, located in London. Um, but I do miss the cinema. I mean, I, is, there's nothing like the lights going down and the trailers come up and you know you're sitting there with a glass of wine and you know this film comes on so i do miss that a, a lot but it's very exciting to kind of see how far the films can go besides just in one locate location and just out of interest what was the last film you saw at the cinema um oh my goodness i think the last one i saw was uh, the photograph um by stella maggie I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. The one that stars um, Lakeith Stanfield and Issa Rae. I mean, literally like that week before the shutdown. I think I went to go see it like March 6th or 8th or something weird like that. And then next thing I know, I can't go to the cinema. I was devastated because I go all the time. <laughs> so that's the last film I saw. Elisa, what was the last film you saw at the cinema? Actually, uh, just before lockdown, I was in LA at the Pan African Film Festival, so it would be one of their films. Uh, literally, I was the week there I too. got back, yeah, literally the week I got back from LA, everything shut down. So I was like, thank God, like the shutdown didn't happen and the Pan 
African Film Festival was able to happen. So yeah. um, for me, I think it's lovely. Um, I was super excited to find out I was in Buff because um, to be in the top uh, British Urban Film Festival in London and um, with you know as a black woman, I'm so proud. And then also to have been at the Pan African in LA, it, it's just it's a, it's nice to represent. Um, where I come from and who I am as an individual and uh, yeah I'm happy to be part of the conversation and to feel I guess appreciated so yeah I was so excited I still am. Now because the, the last time I met you you were at my MBE party uh, which was a week before the lockdown. It was, um, it was. we got out just in time. Yeah, I know. I know. Obviously, a lot has happened. The queen, waited. the queen waited for lockdown for you just so we could have your MBE party that was it. Well do you know what <laughs> I think obviously they don't know uh, the other guys, but let, let me tell you, because obviously Cos was there um, at the MBE party and obviously everyone was asking me, so what was it like, you know? Because it was Prince Charles that gave me my- That was right, Prince Charles, yeah. um, But a couple of days before that, the Queen was doing an investiture. And it was a big story at the time because the Queen was wearing gloves for the first time in public. Now, obviously, this is before COVID was going to become the big thing that it is now. So, obviously, people were making a fuss about why is the Queen wearing gloves? Um, and then, obviously, when, you're, when you know you're going to get um, an honour, they don't tell you who's going to give it to you. Um, so, my kind of investiture was two days after the Queen was photographed with the gloves. So, obviously, I'm looking at this thinking, the Queen's going to give me my medal. No one's told me. This is crazy. So obviously being um, part of a Nigerian family and you're telling people the queen's going to give me a medal or da, 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 da. <laughs> I, remember, I, I remember my mother-in-law, when I told her that I was going to get my MBE, the first thing she said was, but are they giving you any money? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's a good question. It's a good question. Would I take the money instead of the medal? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't, but, um, you know, it, it was, it was a memory, very memorable day for me personally. And obviously, regards to the festival, I guess it's kind of full validation for the work that I've been doing. But as I've always said to many people, including yourself, because as you know, without the films, what I do is pointless, it's worthless. I can't do what I do. Um, so obviously, you guys are the lifeblood of the industry. Um, and I know with your film, Ashonda in particular, I've been speaking to the Iris Prize which is one of our um, partner festivals in the UK. Iris Prize, if you're not familiar with them, is um, has the world's biggest cash prize for a short film in the LGBT plus market, which is 30,000 pounds. So Ooh. I've been speaking to them about your film, which is obviously will tick a lot of boxes there. And obviously over the next 12 months, we will see whether they embrace your film. And obviously I'll be championing your film every step of the way. Um, um, Sophia, I mean, talk to me about Unregistered and when you heard the film was going to be part of Buff. Um, I was so excited because I, I actually I actually have a British passport as well. So I have an Australian and British passport. So I've been following the festival. I also wanted to go to London. I was very <laughs> excited. So excited. I, was like, I know, I know. Um, <laughs> And so I was very excited. And um, I think what's so awesome as well when I heard about Apple is, you know, that's one of the things is um, 
that going to the festivals, you know, I, I feel like as a filmmaker, I'm not particularly like, I'm not someone who just goes to talk to everyone. So I feel like at a festival, you're like forced to like, you know, you get, you feel like, okay, good. I'm getting my networking and all that sort of stuff done. So I'm just really happy. And I'm happy um, that on Apple, we can, um, people can see our films because that's why we all make them. You know, we have stories to tell. Um, there were things in my film that are really important to say as well. You know, one of the things I don't know if and when you guys see it, one of the things is really important to me because obviously it's a biracial relationship. Was I don't know if you noticed or when you guys do go see it, notice I if you if you go into the world, almost seventy percent of the the world in the future is going to be mixed race. I have a mixed race kid, um, and I wanted to not even put any attention on that relationship. So we don't even comment about it because it's just going to be a normal thing and if you look at all the people in the world almost all of them are not white you know white because I think that's sort of a future thing so anyway sorry totally went on a different thing but that was also part of part of what I wanted to be part of this festival because I knew um, that is really important and I just want to say I also I love film so much that I went to Texas to see Tenant in June because the the movie because the theaters were open there <laughs> yeah LA is shut down we can't watch anything in LA I know no I'm from LA I was yeah, like that's like I need to see Tenet my friends were like do you want to come see us for the weekend and I was like yep but we have to the first night we have to go see Tenet so so we have to do that and now I'm trying to hunt down Mank in Australia but the the movie theaters are open here there's just no movies coming you know because what was the last film you saw at the cinema so mine was actually at uh a really boutique cinema in Leeds called the Hyde Park Picture House. And it was actually Beefer's uh, short film shortlist of last year. So that was literally the last thing that I, I went to see was uh, yell the shortlist from Beefer uh, movies last year to kind of uh, see how my, my movie stacked up uh, alongside those. And then literally that evening, I did go and see Tenant as well. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like I'm, I'm guessing like most of these filmmakers, you know, I you know, I love the big screen. I love the whole cinema experience. And um, yeah, we've, we've certainly missed it this year, but that was, uh, that was the last thing, uh, last things that I, I'd seen. Now, uh, we've got a few minutes left. I just wanted to ask, you just kind of reminded me cause with Biffa, cause obviously Buff is a Biffa qualifying festival and it's a BAFTA qualifying festival as well. And all this has happened in 2020. Now I very much hope Alethea and cause that you entered your films for a potential BAFTA, did you? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Did you? We did, we did actually. For, yeah. for BAFTA, yes. For Biffa, she said um, next year. So, because okay. so, of uh, the deadline, when I managed to get in contact, she said, oh, no more films, sorry, but uh, you'll be on priority list for next year. Excellent. So, good to know that my pressure kind of got them to. <laughs> all right well thanks guys for being part of this filmmaker's Zoom session it's great to know you personally kind of the stories behind the stories but in closing um can i ask you all if people want to find you and kind of uh, follow your continued journey in this film business where can they find you online on social media ashanda where can people find um you? i have a website ashanda.com a-s-h-u-n-d-a and then Instagram is at R-E-M-P-R-E-S-S. 
Do you know what I should? I mean, mine, mine is literally my name on, I don't have Facebook, but Twitter and Instagram, it is literally just at Coles Greenop. So very easy to find. Sophia, where can people find um, uh, I'm also, I'm sophiabanks.com. And then I'm on Instagram, sophiabanksc um, on Instagram. Yeah, I want to find everybody. I also want to know, um, because I shouldn't have mentioned Criterion collection i want to know what she's been watching oh <laughs> my everyone... god I, so I really want everyone's list so i don't know if we can organize sharing those later but i want to know everyone's <laughs> top 10 over because i can already tell shonda has some good ones up her sleeve from oh my uh, goodness Craig Shonda, give, give me i mean i just i just recently watched um cachet um michael um i forgot his last name that film is just like what and then I watched, um, <laughs> I was like, what is he doing? I mean, I just love how filmmakers- Oh, just, Hidden. Is it Hidden? Cache no, ca hidden. yeah, Cache Hidden. Yeah. And then for the first 50, like yeah, 12 minutes, yeah, yeah. it's just a and shot of like, this apartment. And I was like, what is yeah, he doing? It's this amazing. So it's the best. It's, it's one of my favorite films and, ever. And then, yeah, and Agnes Varda, I've been watching her films. Um, uh, who else? Uh, just. It's so many people. I have to make a list, but um, yeah. oh, the headless woman, uh, Lucretia's work, um, the headless woman and swamp. Oh my God, Argentina, fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah. The first five minutes of the film, people are like, the drinks are like spilling everywhere, and people's at the pool. I'm like, what is this? They're dragging chairs everywhere. Fascinating film. It's called. Oh, that sounds like your kind of film, doesn't it? Horror. <laughs> yeah it's kind of like horror it's kind of like horrific like thriller type yeah good stuff yeah alisa that's one for you as well isn't it with your upcoming feature yeah horror films oh, i've been watching so many like we watched one literally just now called the gift so i've been watching uh horrors back to back i love um, it yeah. And then yesterday was like a Japanese uh, horror called Two Tales of a Tales Tale of Two Sisters. But I would have to say my two favorite horrors ever would be Deliver Us from Evil and Veronica on Netflix. It free, like I it takes a lot for me. Veronica was the one yeah. that I was like, I'm a bit uneasy now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the tr the trick to horror films, if anyone wants to know, start in the daytime because <laughs> nothing can catch you by night. I love watching. You know what? You stay watch night at night. in the daytime, and then you're fine. Like you can sleep. If I don't, if I do it at nighttime, it's, it's a tough one sleeping because your mind plays too much. Yeah. Oh, and I've got my social media handles now. I think. Do it. Do it. Wait, can you see it? Let me see how close I can get. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Guys, you can see that. So it's shotoftea.co um, and then at shot of tea. So just shot of tea. Why shot of tea? Um, shot of tea. So shot like camera shot and then tea because it's just very uh, essentially British. And we just, I like things that are like opposites, you know, like pink elephant. So we wanted something that was. You know, you usually have a shot of coffee, but because we're British, you know, we have a shot of tea. Yorkshire so tea. As long as you make it Yorkshire tea, we'll be fine. My boyfriend's <laughs> from Yorkshire, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and Ashanda, who, who's the lady behind you? 
in Zora Neale Hurston. Zora Neale Hurston, one of my favorites. Um, she wrote um, Folklore, Their Eyes Are Watching God. Um, yeah, Zora Neale Hurston. That's who that is. And I, I thought have it was my... your mom. <laughs> oh, you know, like I, I'm convinced that I'm related to her. Uh, she looks just like, she looks just like my grandma. I thought it was your mom. She looks almost like yeah. very, the cheekbones, everything. She looks like my grandmother. It's so mom. strange. Yeah. I was like, maybe somewhere, you know, because she looks just <laughs> like my grandmother. It's really kind of creepy. Um, but I have my social media. I, I kind of wanted to do what Emmanuel said just in case people need it. I don't know. Can y'all see that? There we go, Peter. Yeah, oh, yeah, we yeah, can. Okay. Let me see that. Wonderful. Um, well, I've got one more question actually, because all you guys have been to LA, and I haven't, which makes me feel really lonely right now. So, um, <laughs> give sell LA to me if LA's not been sold enough by the industry at large. What, what, what do I have to look forward to if I was ever able to try to? The weather. I lived in London for a year and then I was like, I'm done with the rain. Where am I going? So 70 degrees and sunny all the time and, and movies and theaters everywhere, right? Yeah, I kind of miss saying, you know how you go, you get those invites to all those screenings. I kind of miss, yeah. I was like, why did I say no? Because now I can't go anywhere. Um, <laughs> so all those screenings and the sun and at the beach which is kind of weird when you're depressed because you're like, why is the sun out? Um, <laughs> I'd say the people, like in England, we, we live a bit of schadenfreude. We hate to see successful people. And, you know, when people say, oh, I've got this, you're there going, good, well done. I hate you. Whereas in LA, when you say something's great, people actually go, that's fucking awesome. Like, well, like you know, they really, really encourage you and they're so supportive. And, and I think... Uh, for certainly the people that I've met, you know, they genuinely mean it. Whereas, whereas in the UK, it's a lot of false niceness and, you know, everyone wants everyone to fail secretly deep down. Whereas in America, you know, if you win the lottery, you know, they, they love you for it. Whereas, uh, whereas here, not so much. But again, yeah, it's, it is the people, but also, you know, it is the hub for our, for our business. You know, I, when I've come from Leeds and when I first moved to London, it was like my, you know, it was, it was insane. Like suddenly I was going to networkings and I wasn't the only filmmaker. And, you know, that was awesome to, to be in a room full of people that are like-minded individuals. And, and, you know, LA is like London, but like on crack, like your cab drivers are filmmakers, you know, the bartenders are filmmakers, you know, everyone is there. And, you know, I honestly, when I spent four months in LA last year, and I think I met five or six cab drivers or Uber drivers who all, you know, either heard me on the phone. I don't really like talking on the phone about film because it just sounds, I'm very British, so I hate stuff like that. But honestly, three cab drivers gave me their screenplays. Um, you know, everyone there is there for the reason of being in film and they all have their ideas. And, you know, I like that. I think it's, it's cool that people are there to chase to chase their, their storytelling passion. I think, it, you know, a lot of people say, it's, oh, it's awful. Everyone goes there, you know, everyone's trying to chase that golden dream. It's like, yeah, but why not? You know, if you've got a dream, you want to chase it. And, and LA is the place to do that. You know, you I, the four months I was there, I met more people in those four months than I did with, you know, living in London for five years and then living for 30 years in, in Leeds. So I think, you know, you, there's definitely more opportunity to meet, you know, people in our industry that can help you get further in your career in LA, 100%. I would yeah. say the word, the word for it is like, there's a certain magic that LA has that no place in the world has. Um, it captures your heart and your imagination at the same time. Um, and I think, 
the one thing it did for me is I had never worked so hard in my life because I wanted to. And that's, it gives you a drive like no other. You know, um, obviously I'm back in London now, but nothing motivated me more than living in LA. Um, you could go like 48 hours without sleeping if you're working in film there. You know, I know um, I was working at UTA for a bit um, and, I would see like the writers and producers coming in and they're like, yeah, I sleep, I sleep three hours a day. James Franco, he does that three, four hours a day. Like they don't sleep and it's because their love for the passion and the drive of what they're doing is so strong. Everyone just gives it 110%. Um, and that's infectious. So that to me would be my selling point for LA is go get the mojo that you need to like be the best you can. Okay, I'll I'll take all these notes back with me, <laughs> and, and obviously, I, I, as as uh, a young father, I've got a 22, 23 month old girl. Um, I'll bear all this in mind because I can't <laughs> now that I'm getting older. So everything that you're saying is kind of going in one ear, and probably going out the other. <laughs> but hey, we're all creatives. We've got to find a way, and obviously, yeah. that's what we're doing right here with this filmmaker Zoom session. Sophia Banks, Cos Greenup, Aletha Shepherd, Ashanda Norris, thank you very much indeed for your time. And all the very best in your endeavours in 2021. Thank, thank you so much. It's great to be here. Have a good evening. So Bye. wonderful. Bye. 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 Bye.